my name is Julie Turney, and this is the HR Sound Off Podcast Show, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent topics and trends as it relates to our professions. We're going to have amazing conversations with HR professionals from all over the world, get to learn their origin stories. How did they get into this profession? What do they love about being here? And how they want to set the record straight on that one misconception that really drives them crazy about our profession. Are you ready? I'm ready. Then let's sound off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the HR Sound Off Podcast Show. My name is Julie Turney. I am your host. And with me today, I am so honored to have the amazing Liz Kislet. Liz, how are you doing? I'm glad to be with you. That's how I'm doing. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. You are distinguished speaker, TEDx speaker, leader, guide all things amazing. And I am so glad to have this conversation with you today about conflict in leadership with a twist, because, you know, I like to have these conversations that really need to be had, and especially from a space that may make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. But today we're going to tackle two specific pieces of conflict or areas of conflict that have come up a lot for me recently in my social media with my audience asking me questions as it relates to when I'm at conflict with my CEO as HR and when I'm at conflict with my VP or chief people officer, VP of HR, my CHRO in the HR space, how do I handle these conflicts? So that's what we're going to talk about today. So before we kick off our show, can you please tell the audience who is Liz Kislik? What do you do and how did you get here? So I think of myself as a helper Ah. in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not that I don't speak, I do. And it's not that I haven't led, I have Mm -hmm. to answer your question. um, So I think of myself as a management consultant first, because I like to look at the big picture. Mm I like to know what is the forest and why are those trees in it? Right. First, for context, I am also um, a coach. I do a lot of coaching, as you can imagine, within the consulting relationships and sometimes independently. And I do think of myself in many ways as a writer because for the last 10 years, I've published something at least once a week, every week. Yeah. That's a lot of writing. That's a lot of writing. And I got here, you know how I got here? I got here by wanting things to be good and having a lot of opinions, Mm -hmm. which can sometimes be annoying to other people. So it was very (laughs) useful Mm -hmm. to learn that help comes from offering it but it doesn't always have to be accepted. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was very, very lucky in how I came up in my career. After college, I wanted to work. My friends went to grad school. I wanted to work. I felt that was where the action was. Yeah. And I started out working at a small marketing agency where I had worked two summers 
in college and they hired me and at a better rate than I could get elsewhere because they already knew me and I knew the company, but they started me off not in the job that I was promised to be an Mm. account executive, but I was suddenly an interim manager for a department Mm -hmm. because the manager had gone out on maternity leave. Um, This was a company that did not have HR at the time. Mm. So (laughs) these kinds of things could happen. Mm -hmm. And I was 21 and responsible for two dozen people. Wow. Which was scary. Mm -hmm. And bless, bless them all because they were kind to me and we learned from each other. And it was the kind of situation where if you are a young person and you look around you, you see things that don't work well. And if you're willing to sort of volunteer Mm -hmm. with no preconception of what's going to come to you and you help, people are happy to unload some of their stuff. So I got a promotion every six months because I was already doing other jobs. And when I was 23, I was promoted to vice president and I ran a 300 employee call center. Mm. And really, I was not experienced enough to have that job. Right. In, in hindsight. Yeah. I may have been the best person that they had at the time to step in. Right. And I did a lot of cleanup in there. Um, but what I learned was that I like the observation and helping role. Mm-hmm much better because when you're in it it's harder to see it all yeah it is and you can make a lot more mistakes actually because you can't see it yeah even if you're good intentions and Mm. all of those things Mm -hmm. um so i like being able to see the whole thing and i like being able to share the options you could do this might work this way. You could do that. It might work that way. Here are the things that I see. Mm -hmm. Let's talk them up and down. Which one do you want to do? Yeah. And I like that much better. And I'm willing, you can tell, I'm willing to give my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, But in fact, I like to do that all day long, rather than (laughs) to then be responsible, you know, to actually do the execution. Yeah. I like, I like the upfront sort of the planning part. Yeah. Much better. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is an interesting career. So tell us, what do you do? What are you doing now? What's your role now? Okay. So um, I held jobs up through that company. I was executive vice president mm-hmm. Um And I left after the owner died and there was no real succession planning. Okay, all you HR pros, please, for every key executive, have a succession plan. For every critical job, know who else has skills. Um, And uh, the owner's widow looked for outside uh, backing and leadership. And the company started going in a direction that I didn't care for so much. Right. 
and it seemed better to leave. So I did. Mm -hmm. And because I had a lot of relationships in the industry and I was active in the trade association, other consultants subcontracted to me. I was working within a week after Mm -hmm. I left and I never stopped. Right. So I've been consulting in, I started off in um, telemarketing and customer service and call center management, the things that I had learned. Yes. But because I look at the big picture, I could say to a leadership, not just here's what is going wrong, but here's why that's happening. Here are the things in the rest of your organization Mm -hmm. that are having a negative impact on customers. Mm -hmm. And some of those leaders wanted to hear what I had to say. And so through the years, things shifted. So now most of my work is in leadership development, team development, organizational development, and just dealing with the kinds of persistent, uncomfortable problems Mm -hmm. that people who are in the situation have a tough time resolving. Yeah. You are very much needed. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Taking that step to do what you do because people we need you organizations need you thank you i'm i feel so lucky thank you so much that's so generous of you not only are there always problems so there's always work that's good for job security Mm -hmm. it's also very satisfying yeah yeah and like you said before you are a helper yeah so and and that lends to people you know and people may not always admit that they need help which I think you know very well yes probably see a lot of that and so that's why I feel like this conversation today is so critical because if there's one set of people who never seem to feel like they need help is HR they always seem to feel like they've got it on hand they've got it handled they know it all and, and I speak from a place of experience because very, very early in my career, I felt that way too. Like I felt like it was wrong of me to feel that I needed additional help or support because I'm supposed to be the one with the answers. And I'm, I'm the one who leadership is looking to, to answer and support. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you kind of feel like it's almost like number one, a blow to your ego, but number two, like a blow to your ability to perform your role, but going it alone is so much harder. So tell me. So I think you're talking about two different things that interact with each other in HR in ways that can actually limit Mm -hmm. both HR's capacity to help and individual HR professionals' ability to grow. So yeah, the first thing is much of HR is rule-based. And when people feel that they are the administers of the rules, not only do they feel they're expected to know the rules, mm-hmm. and that can give you the false idea that you know everything and that you are expected to know everything, but also this idea that you can't afford to be wrong. 
Because if you're wrong, the protection you're trying to create for your company, well, it might be faulty. Mm-hmm. That's a very threatening idea that you might do something that then is inherently damaging mm-hmm. to the company you're trying to serve. So right. that can encourage, encourage is the wrong word, encourage sounds positive. It can sort of um, put people into a corner mm-hmm. where they think I'm supposed to know everything and it is too scary to acknowledge the possibility that I could be wrong, Yeah, that there might be other ways to look at it. But that creates a kind of brittleness. And um, are you familiar with Carol Dweck and growth mindset yes. versus fixed mindset? Yes. That's a kind of fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. Can't afford to be wrong. Can't know anything I don't already know. And what happens then is HR pros can get trapped into giving answers that may be technically correct, but don't actually serve the circumstance. When some of the best things that you can do is to actually acknowledge to your leadership, to the people you serve, this is such a complicated issue we have to look at it very carefully and we may need some advice. Yeah. And sometimes the only advice you need is, you know, looking stuff up or reading the right book. I, yeah. I'm not saying you have to bring an outsider in, yeah. but it's always dangerous to assume that everything you need is already in your head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree with you more on that. And thank you so much for sharing that because I feel like so many people, we do get that wrong, you know, like, because we feel like we need, you know, I can't know. And I have to answer. Um, My mom always taught me it's better to say that you don't know than you answer me and you're wrong. Um, And so I've always tried to come from a place of, okay, let me make sure that's 100% correct. Um, Or at least let me make sure for correctness and I have a guide and I have a go-to and I can give a point of reference yes um, versus just speaking off the top of my hat for the sake of giving an answer um and i'd rather do that saying the wrong thing you know but that kind of humility so there are many people who think it's more embarrassing to not know immediately what to do and the risk there is they're so quick to have an answer. Remember how I talked about wanting to see the whole picture? Yeah. Sometimes they feel better if they can look at just a tiny little slice and give an answer mm. and be done. Yeah. And sometimes the pressure of the work can push you into that because yeah. I don't know if you've seen this. I've certainly been in companies where there is the equivalent of a line out the door. Yeah. You know, people are trotting their problems into HR expecting to be helped. And it's like you're at the bakery next, next, next. Mm -hmm. So then you can feel forced into giving little answers just to be done. But then those problems come back around multiple times. And often they grow in the process. They get very ugly. Ugly. Absolutely. And, and that's what, so let's talk a little bit about that. 
I've had, and I've seen quite a bit of this lately where quite a few HR professionals across my social media platforms have highlighted that they've come to a point where they realize that they're having challenges with their leadership. Either there becomes a misalignment or they are not feeling the confidence to constructively have courageous conversations with their leadership when there is a misalignment. And so sometime back, I did a survey and I asked people like, what's your relationship with your leadership? Is it great? Some people answered in the middle and a lot of people said, you know, I get my job done. We have very little conversation. We have very little to say to each other. I do what I've got to do. We have very little conversation. When there's that conflict in a relationship that's supposed to be very pivotal and critical, how do we how do we deal with that conflict in a way that is constructive versus avoidance? Because avoidance isn't the answer. Right. (laughs) Definitely not the answer. How do we deal with that? Okay. The first thing I'm going to tell you is something you might not expect. And that has nothing to do with that bit of conflict or the challenge of the moment. It is to learn the business. Mm -hmm to learn the business down to the ground as if you were an operations professional, a sales professional, an analyst. I'm not talking about being able to describe to somebody at a party what your company does. I mean, learning how the money is made. And lost. And lost. Learning what a good customer is versus a bad customer. Mm -hmm. And therefore, what is excellent performance in every aspect of the company. Mm -hmm. Learning what are the environmental risks to the company, what's happening in the industry and in the outside world. To be really good at HR, you have to be a good business person. Mm -hmm. The only reason that HR exists historically is to protect business. Mm If you don't understand the business you're in and how the money is made and lost, your credibility can be questioned. Mm -hmm. And if someone feels, oh, they don't know what they're talking about, then they won't come to you even for the things where you do know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And that's when you get those kind of relationships The executive team has already met. They've already decided. And then they call somebody from HR in. They call in their business partner or whoever it is to tell them how to write the email that says this is how to announce the organizational change as opposed to consulting with HR about what should the organizational change be and how can we do it the best way possible? Yes. Um, so know your business. Be a business person. Yeah. Be able to talk business. Mm-hmm. That is the fr- that's table stakes, and it is not what HR people are taught coming up, and it is certainly not what they learn if they come up as uh, you know in in a sort of apprenticeship mode. Yeah. Yeah, that's not what. So that's that is the first thing, mm-hmm. because part 
of how you shift the dynamics in the relationship, whatever they say to you, ask more questions. And I don't mean interrogate anybody because then they feel, oh, HR is so picky and they have so many questions. I'm talking about being really humanly and humanely curious. Yeah. Tell me why you see whatever the situation is that way. What made you choose A versus B? Why were you thinking that this would work better? Mm -hmm. those kinds of questions so that you learn what the thought process was Mm -hmm. because you may say oh that's great I understand or as the good business person you are you may say I can see exactly why you would have done that you've got to acknowledge first have you also thought about and then you can raise some of the logical consequences that will come to pass Mm -hmm that they are not anticipating, but you know are likely to go awry. Mm -hmm. I can see why you want to do that, why you want to go in that direction, why you might want that result. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about what will happen in the six to 12 months after that occurs. These other problems might happen. I mean, think of all the conversations you've been in where you said, Yes, I know exactly that this guy has fabulous skills, which is why you want to put him in the job. But I'm sure you're also aware that he has a tendency to behave badly in this kind of situation or not pay enough attention to the details of that kind of situation, you know, whatever it is. And so the wheels are going to go off whenever he comes to conditions of A, B, C, D, E. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes HR advice is like legal advice, and the business decision maker says, yes, that may happen, but he's a great salesperson, ops person. I need him in that role now. Yep. So you can agree. All right. A lot of people shaking their heads listening to you. Right? This is exact. I mean, we all have seen it. So you've got a couple of options. You can say, and I will come back to you and say, I told you so. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's legitimate to do. Mm-hmm. Or you can say, let's make a career plan that has six months in sales or operations to clean up that thing you want them to clean up. Yeah. But then we move them or then we give them this kind of training or then, yeah. and you want to be in on that early so it's not that a year and a half later mm-hmm. the executive comes back to you and says I got to get this guy out of here yeah which is what would happen nine times out of ten yeah I love the way you structured that because I think a lot of times as HR we just get to the point where we're like you know what that's what they want so that's what I'll do yes oh my god that's so terrible That's like we're building our own prison. Mm -hmm. Now, (laughs) right? It is true that at the end of the day, the decision will not be yours in many, 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 many things. Exactly. But saying, I told them not to do it. Mm -hmm. They can't blame me. That creates victimization. That creates a lack of responsibility, a lack of connection, 
and eventually victimization. There's yeah. nothing I can do. Yeah. Who wants to live like that? Nobody. That's not rewarding. But so many people are living like that, Liz. Yes. So many people are living like that, especially in this HR space where they don't have, and that's why I said I felt this conversation was absolutely pertinent because a lot of us are living in this space of, well, I give my advice. It isn't, you know, they don't take it. How do I, you know, build that trust? And I think you answered that question very early in terms of understand the business, but there are a lot of us who understand the business and, you know, we share our views and we share our opinions and we share our ideas and they just are rejected or they're pushed to a side we're not in those conversations from the beginning we're only in them when things go wrong or we we are asked to enter the room and then prepare the email as you said Um, a lot of a lot of people sit in that space and it's very surprising it's not surprising um while there are some people who do have great relationships with their CEOs and they do get to have that seat at the table where they add value, there are more HR professionals who don't, who aren't getting that opportunity, mm-hmm. who aren't experiencing that relationship. And then they become, as I said, very passive. Yes, that, that's very well put. Okay, so I'm having so many thoughts at once. <laughs> So one of them is to look for ways to support what the leadership wants to do to contribute without being asked. Because, you know, if you are always the person who is expected to just sweep up the mess, there's an expectation that the only tool you know how to use is a broom. Mm -hmm that you can only contain damage or clear up damage mm-hmm. as opposed to preventing damage or dare I say it, help generate growth and upside. Yeah. So this is very, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to seduce anyone into thinking there are three easy steps right. and you'll be included. It's yeah. not true. No. But it's like a little of this and a little of that and a little of the third thing. And if you keep working all the angles, little by little, sometimes you can make some headway. And frankly, if you've been someplace for three or four years and you really try some of these things and you make no headway, maybe it's time to think about looking somewhere else where your skills, I'm not calling it HR, your skills, your actual skills are more appreciated. Yes. Because many executives think of HR as being in this kind of box and they don't need, they don't know how to think about HR as being different. Mm -hmm. So the question is, can they think about you as being different? Different. Can you show your interest in the business and that you are thinking on behalf of the business? even if you're not included in those conversations. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, you get to go to a town hall meeting or an all hands meeting or whatever the quarterly business review is, whatever those things are. Mm -hmm. 
pay attention to what the leaders talk about as being important, Mm -hmm. the things they want to accomplish, the things they see as dangers. And think about from your perspective, what do you know from your HR training and experience that could help with those things? Right. And think about how to make proposals about that. Don't start by running off to the CEO and saying, I have this wonderful proposal. No, no. Workshop it. Yes. Okay. Talk to your colleagues. Talk to people outside the company that you trust. But think about where could you add and not just cover. Yeah. So that's one outlet. A second outlet. Put yourself in circumstances, and I'm talking physically now, Mm -hmm. where there is more likely to be dialogue as opposed to direction. Mm -hmm. If there are social events, go and chat up the people you would like to have better relationships with. Pre-pandemic, I would have said, ask people out to lunch. Now, maybe not so much, but have a Zoom coffee. Say, you know, I don't, I don't know about you. I am reading articles constantly to know what's the latest thinking on this, et cetera. Be a clipping service. Send the smart stuff you see to crucial executives. I saw this. I thought it might be of interest. Mm-hmm. If you can say, I thought of you when I saw this because, and add a sentence of why it would be good for them based on the situation they're facing, Mm -hmm. then they think, oh, "Oh." (laughs) see, okay, that's exactly the right tone. Mm -hmm. That sort of pleased surprise. That person in HR, they care about me. It's not just about the business, it's personal. Yeah. So put yourself where you can be known better. And then you have the opportunity to talk about things that might make a contribution. Mm -hmm. Another thing is know your audience. We all have worked with executives who would rather a wrong decision today than Mm -hmm. a correct decision next month. We have worked with executives who want you to have the hard conversations they don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, we've worked with, so we've worked with all these different kinds of people. Know what their concerns are and talk about what could be done to help assuage their concerns. Um, one of the things my coach says, Oh, get yourself a coach. Say that again, please. Yes, get yourself a coach. Doesn't have to be a paid coach. Doesn't have to be someone who says, I am an HR coach, although I happen to know one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, my coach says people will buy an aspirin before they will buy a vitamin. We want to deal with the little problems we see. We don't think about strengthening ourselves for the big problems that are to come. Mm -hmm. So 
if you know your audience, then you know something about which of their problems are coming. Mm -hmm. Offer suggestions. Tell them what you're paying attention to on their behalf. Mm -hmm. Think of these things as actual gifts. They're part of your job because the truth is a good HR business partner is doing that. But it's hard to do that when you have to answer questions and fill out paperwork and do all the horrible parts. Yeah. But if you can convey that you are on their team and you're thinking on their behalf and you were wondering about this and you just wanted to make sure they were thinking about that thing, there will be people who will never take you up on it in a million years. And you may not have to work with them closely and that would be good or you may choose not to. Mm -hmm. But there will be people, just as happened to me, coming out of call center, but having views on other things. Mm -hmm. If you offer, and you offer in a nice package, and you make it pleasant to hear from you, and you show that you're a straight shooter and not playing favorites and those kinds of things, Mm -hmm. somebody is going to start listening. Absolutely. What a powerful discussion. Just li- I could listen to you for hours. Um, I could talk to you for hours. I thank you so much for sharing your, your knowledge, your, your heart, your space. Thank you so much for sharing this space. To, and I hope and I know that our audience have found what you have shared very useful. Let me ask you this, Liz. What are you listening to, watching, reading right now that you think our audience would enjoy? Uh, They wouldn't enjoy. (laughs) So not enjoyable. Right now, almost the only stuff I'm doing, and it's reading Mm -hmm. more than anything else, um, although I am listening to what's in the news, Mm -hmm. given where we are with COVID, I am reading everything I can get my hands on about hybrid work environments, remote work environments, Mm -hmm. how to get people back to work. Mm -hmm. Everything that we're experiencing now, there's fear in it. There's people with conflicting viewpoints, lack of clarity about the rules. This is a perfect example, going back to your earlier question, Julie, Mm -hmm. about none of us knows enough. We need to know what other people are thinking, even if it's so we can disagree in a more educated way. Oh, Oh, that's powerful. (laughs) Mm. So what I appreciate so much I know your listeners do, but I want to put a finer point on it, is you are willing to ask these questions and you want to hear the answers. And those are two halves of how you learn and get better, no matter what space you're in. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't keep asking questions, it's not that your actual knowledge diminishes, but you stop keeping up you get far, farther and farther behind. Yep. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. And if you don't listen carefully to the answers, 
you can make choices based on the old information. Mm -hmm. And then the people that you've asked for advice and help think, why should I tell them anything? They don't pay any attention. So you can use your quest for knowledge as a way to build relationships too. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you so much. You put so much things into context in such a clear and concise way that I know that our audience will definitely appreciate. What I would love to ask you right now, what is the biggest misconception about HR that you know of that really bothers you that you would like to set the record straight on right here, right now? As is the case with most very big misconceptions, it's because there is or has been some truth in it. And that's that you can't trust HR. So that bothers me a lot because I know some fabulous HR professionals. Yeah. But I also know the kind that have created that misconception. Mm -hmm. And it is very, very hard to think of oneself as being attached to a profession that people don't trust. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's true. You have to keep secrets when you're in HR. Yeah. You cannot tell the whole story. Nope. That's very uncomfortable. If you can't tolerate it, you shouldn't be in it. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is it is so valuable to learn from people who do it without being cold, closed off, resentful, yeah. who don't convey oh. negative emotion, but who convey warmth and positivity. Mm -hmm. Even when they're saying, I'm so sorry, you know, I can't talk to you about that. Yep. Yep. And that's a really hard one. Um, it's a very hard one for me because of being who I am. Yeah. And knowing that I love this profession so much. Um, it's a hard one. It's a hard and a huge blow for me when people say HR can't be trusted. Right. HR is not confidential. I, I actually had that experience on last week. Um, I went to donate a copy of my book. The, the, the staff raised this very same point that, you know, one of their biggest struggles is that they can't trust the HR. Like, and she gave three very good examples of instances where she said, you know, I'm, a, I'm the manager of this department. And imagine that I find out that my employee has resigned before. Yes. Or the employee gets to come to me. When you hear this, it takes you back. And all I could say is, I'm sorry that that's what you've experienced. Yes. That's all I can say, you know, because it's, it's very heartbreaking to me when, yeah. when I hear people say, can't, you can't trust HR. It's even worse when I see it on social media. You know, it's one thing when people say it to you, like in a one-on-one -on -one space, or even I've had, I've done workshops where I've asked people to, you know, describe how, you know, they feel about their HR. And I have seen that come up in a couple Mentimeters, not confidential, can't be trusted. And every time it cuts, it hits me in the gut, like the worst way ever. But it's, it's not who we all are, but we get painted with that brush. 
So I don't know if this is helpful at all, given that I'm the person who put this problem on the table. If you think about what it is to be a diplomat in the foreign service, in any ambassadorship, Mm -hmm. there's a similar role. And sometimes it's not clear till years later that HR did the right thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's helpful to look at some of those examples, things that are not just from this profession, Mm -hmm. but are in other realms. But then to your point, it's to be a better example. Yeah, absolutely. Liz Kislik, you have survived your time in the sound booth. Thank you so much for your time today. What is next for Liz? Tell us. Um, Well, I'd like to say that this was thriving instead of surviving. I was so happy to spend time with you. Um, Thank you. I think your warmth comes right across and the profession needs that. Thank you. Um, I am finally working on the idea of a book. That is what is next for me. Nice. I'm looking forward to that. Please let me know. Please. We'll see how I do. Keep me posted. Please keep me posted. (laughs) I definitely want to read that. If I get it, I'll come back and talk to you about it. Please do. You you have an open door invitation anytime. So nice. Thank you. You're more than welcome. Can you tell our beautiful people where they can find you on social media? Oh, yes. You know, the best place really, Julie, to find me is on my website, okay. um, which is www.lizkislik.com. I assume you'll put it in the show notes. Yes, I will. And uh, we touched around this in, in many ways, but there's a free ebook there nice. that might be useful to them because it's about the interpersonal aspects of conflict, including actual language you can tailor to your situation. So that might be helpful. I will definitely um, be downloading that. Thank you. <laughs> and <laughs> right loads of blogs and my newsletter, all of that. Um, but on social media specifically, I'm quite active on LinkedIn and also on Twitter. Nice. Nice. I'm following you on LinkedIn. I will definitely go follow you on Twitter next because that is my second, one of my favorite places to be. I'm kind of like, I live on LinkedIn. That's like my number one. Um, and then Twitter and TikTok right now. <laughs> Very interesting. I learn a lot on TikTok. So thank you so That's much great. for sharing that. Um, I wish you all the very best. Please don't be a stranger. You have an open door invitation. I look forward to reading your book. But thank you so much for joining me today. I've really enjoyed my time with you. Thanks, Julie. Welcome. Thank you for joining us in the sound booth today. I hope that you found this information from this episode useful. You can find me on all social media platforms at I am Julie Turney. That's I am Julie Turney. And you can find this episode or this show on most digital platforms, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Thanks to Anchor FM and Rock Solid Entertainment for helping me to put this content together for you. And I will see you again in the next sound off.